Welcome to the audio podcast of Believer's House. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church in the city of Halifax, Nova Scotia, called to lead people to Jesus, make them more like Him, and see them lead others to Him. We hope this message you are about to listen to inspires you to become more like Jesus in your thoughts, words, and actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Everybody said, amen. All right, so we're starting a new series today that's going to run throughout this month. And maybe the first Sunday of the following month, I will take one of those Sundays as well so that I can have four Sundays to really teach this. And the idea is ecclesia. We want to talk about the called out ones. What is this ecclesia? Now, uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit designed this series to run concurrently with our membership class, even though that was not the intention. I just realized that it actually did. Uh, and, And that is because as you are learning about this local assembly, you can also learn the idea of what the church was designed to be, okay? So, like I said, this is going to be um, a teaching or a study style that I'm going to do this morning. Please pay attention. Just stay focused. It's going to be a teaching or a study style. There's going to be a lot of scholarly information that I'm going to be passing across to you, uh, a lot of insights and some things that you, you don't know before, okay? And, and that is not, like I always tell you, that is not to impress you. That is so that you are grounded, right? And I'm not going to leave you here, you going home and thinking, oh, my pastor is so smart. He knows the Bible so much. I'm going to show you the application of this to your life so that you understand how you need to apply this, you know, as you step out of this place. So I want you to please pay attention. This is going to be different from my normal Sunday style. Maybe next Sunday I'll go back to my normal regular style, okay? So this is going to be a bit different. You need to please pay attention and try to stay awake. You know, this morning... I was baiting for my, for my boys, and the second one started asking me, you know, just started giving me instructions about the water. I need it to be, it's too hot. Then I, I changed it. He said it's too cold. And I, just to get the balance of the warmth of the water that he wants. So I explained to him, I said, you know, this idea of you baiting with hot and cold water out of a single tap is a foreign concept to me. When I was growing up, there was no tap that produced both hot and cold at the same time. I was not born with a silver spoon. In fact, I didn't have any spoon when I was born. So there was no, if you wanted to actually bathe with hot water, that was your, you really, really needed to. In Hamatan, you need to go and boil the water separately. Then you will mix it. If God helps you, the measure is not enough, you are, you are, you are, that's okay for you. You have to use it the way it is. But now they are dictating it's hot, it's cold. And it's, it reminded me of the church, that we are in a church age, this, this dispensation, where some people are complaining the church is too hot, the church is too cold. And not realizing that both sides of the story, if you know your history, you will realize that you don't even have an argument at all. There's actually no reason to be arguing. Because if you only step back and see what the original intention was, you will see that there's no basis for both you that you are complaining you are too hot, you that are too cold, you will see that there is an issue right from the start. And this is not to... To, to cast any aspersion on the way that church is being done today, even though we are also part of that. So you can see that I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that for you to be able to incorporate what the original intention was into what you are doing, you have to understand where you're coming from. So if I'm going to tell you any stories today, it will probably be from church history. Those of you that don't like history are going to sleep. But it's not my fault. If I, I always say it. If I preach and you sleep, it's on you. It has nothing to do with me, okay? So let's start out here in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 16. We said the series is Ecclesia, and I'm just just titled today's message very simply Ecclesia. So we start with that, all right? Matthew chapter number 16, 
I'm going to read from verse 13 all the way to verse 20. Just stay with me. Look on the screen if you don't have a physical Bible. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Somebody say, my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed. Are you with me? Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. God bless you. Verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, let's just jump into it right away and begin to clear up a few things here. Let's start with verse number 18, which is going to be the main focus that we're looking at. It says, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, when you look at this, the first part of this, and you see him say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, because it is common knowledge that Peter means rock. When people see this, there is a temptation to think that this human being that he was talking to, who is called Peter, being a rock is who Jesus said he will build his church on. There's that temptation. And there are denominations literally that believe that. But that's not what Jesus said. The reason is when Jesus said Peter, which is in the Greek Petros, actually the language they were speaking was Aramaic. And what Jesus said was Cephas, but in the Greek it is written as Petros. It means a fragment of a rock. A fragment of a rock. Now, he said, and on this rock, the second word that he used, meaning rock, is the word Petra. It is an immovable stone. So he wasn't saying, you are Peter and I will build my church on you. He was saying, you are, you are a fragment of a rock, but I'm going to build my church on an immovable stone, which is Christ himself. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the only foundation of the church. Can we say that together? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. is the only foundation of the church. So Jesus now said, I will build my church. The word that Jesus used here is the word that we are looking at, which in this Bible is translated as church. The word is ecclesia. Can you say that word with me? Ecclesia. It is not ecclesia. I know you have heard it said that way before. And I know you have seen it spelled E-C-C. Have you seen that before? But if you spell it that way, you're going to confuse it with ecclesiastical, which is a religious thing. But the original Greek word is E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, and it's pronounced ecclesia. 
There's a reason for that. So just stay with me, okay? Now, there are so many other things that Jesus could have said here. When he said, I will build my church, there are other words that he could have used that the people that he was talking to would understand. But he chose not to use those words. He used the word ecclesia for a particular reason. An example of the words that Jesus could have used is the word naos in the Greek, which is temple. It represented the edifice that they could see, a physical temple. He did not use that word. He used that word in other passages of Scripture. For example, Matthew chapter 26, verse 61. And said, this, they were quoting him here, and he actually said this. This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So if he had said, I will build my Nahos, he would have been talking about a physical edifice, which is a structure that has a clergy in it, that is a building that people go to. That's not what he said. Are you with me this morning? The other word that he could have used is the word synagogue, which would have meant synagogue. It also means assembly, congregation, or church. In fact, assembly is actually the, the translation of the word ecclesia, but we'll get to that in a moment. But if he had said synagogue, they would have understood that he was talking about building a synagogue, but that's not what he said. He said synagogue in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, which is, I'm, tr- I'm showing you this to let you know that he knew those other words that he could have used, but he chose the word ecclesia for a reason. And when you pray, Matthew 6, 5, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. So he knew that there was a physical place that was called the synagogue that the people recognized, but that's not the word he used. So why did he use the word ecclesia? Why did he use the word ecclesia? Ecclesia means called out. Now, the reason why it is E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A is the fact that the word is derived from the word ekaleo, which means to call out. So it is, it is derived from that word. And so ekaleo is to call out, and ecclesia is called out, the called out ones. That's why we call ourselves the called out ones. It also means persons legally called out or summoned, which is the definition that is very applicable to what we are teaching this morning. It means persons that are legally called out or summoned. Now, it also says that it doesn't have to be legally. The bottom line is that they are called out or they are summoned. So it means a congregation. It means an assembly of people. But they are called out for a specific reason. The other reason Jesus chose the word ecclesia was that ecclesia was a secular term. It was not a religious term. It was a circular term that was already in use for centuries in the Greek and the Roman empires. I'm going at this pace because I believe that I'm, I don't want to lose any of you, okay? Please stay with me. It has been in use for centuries in the Greek and the Roman Empire. In fact, the word ecclesia is present in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is, you know that the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, it's not in Greek. But there is a translation of the Old Testament that is written in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. If you check in that Bible, you will see the word ecclesia. It appears in Deuteronomy, where it's talking about the assembly of the children of Israel. It also appears in Second Chronicles, uh, uh, in somewhere in there. So they already knew this word. It was a word that was already around for a while. They knew. So Jesus, ask yourself this question. Why is it that Jesus never taught about church planting? 
and I'm getting ahead of myself, but just think about that for a moment. Why is it that there's nowhere in the Bible, and is that because church planting is not good? No, Paul did it. Paul explained how he did it. But Jesus never took time. The reason is because this word that Jesus was saying was something that these people already knew what he was talking about. That's what I want to try to explain to you, to break it down, so that when you're leaving this place today, you're leaving this live stream, you have an understanding. It is a foundational understanding that every solid believer needs to have. Let's keep going. So, it is another definition, a body of people, ecclesia, a body of people assembled to conduct governmental business. A body of people that are assembled not just to sing and to clap, but to conduct governmental business. This was the meaning of the word ecclesia. So the objective, therefore, of the ecclesia in the New Testament was the transformation of people and society. I'll go over that again. Ecclesia is a body of people that are assembled to conduct governmental business. The objective, why the, the ecclesia was set up in the New Testament, why Jesus chose this word, is that this, my agency, is supposed to be responsible for the transformation of people and society. Let's look at a few things that the ecclesia is not, okay? These are not my points, but I'll give it to you anyway. So, three things that the ecclesia was not. Number one, the ecclesia was not a temple or synagogue. We already saw that. So, he didn't, he didn't tell them, this is going to, I'm going to build my temple, I'm going to build my synagogue. That was not the idea. So, it was none of these things. It was not a place where people were supposed to go once a week. If that's what he said, when they gathered in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell off them, they should have kept on gathering like that for the rest of their lives. But they understood what Jesus was saying, that this is not the intention. All right? So how did we get to this point? We will get there today, all right? <laughs> we'll get there. I'll take you through it, all right? So just stay with me. Now, Jesus didn't say, I will build my temple or synagogue. Number two, he never said he was building a static institution. So the ecclesia was never supposed to be a one-place idea. That's why people that attack a multi-site vision, they don't understand the history of the church. That it was never supposed to be one place only. That was not the idea. It was not a static institution. Number three, it was not a transfer station for souls that are bound for heaven. So just get saved, come into the ecclesia, we are going to heaven, 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 going to heaven, 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 going to heaven, heaven. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Heaven is not my home, then what more could I do? This world is not my home, just a passing through. That was not the idea. It was not a transfer station. They were supposed to carry out governmental business. So, Jesus meant this as his redemptive agency on the earth. And it was meant for the transformation of what? People and society. That was the idea. So, again, when people say, oh, why are churches dabbling into, into politics? Have you heard it before? Churches should not dabble into politics. Stay away. Let them do their thing. You don't understand the history of the church. It was supposed to be an influential agency that was supposed to transform people and society. That was the idea. That was the idea. So I'm not saying today that you have to do everything must be political. I'm just saying that don't attack any, just like you that don't understand that there was a time when there was no cold and hot water. So when you are abusing people that are doing hot and cold, you know that there was a time when this was not even the idea, that this did not even exist. So it was, it was that. And Jesus mentioned this term ecclesia only three times. Imagine how many other scriptures are in the Bible about money. There are like 2,000 of them. Jesus only mentioned the Ecclesia three times. 
and two of them was in the same passage. <laughs> so to tell you how little he said, because this was the concept they were already familiar with. Let me show you all the, all the places. You already saw the first one. We read this already, Matthew 16, 18. Let's go to the next one. This is in the same breath, verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell to the church. This was ecclesia that he was saying. But if he refuses even to hear the ecclesia, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. These were the only times Jesus mentioned this word. One of these days, I'll teach about this hidden and tax collector. I thought about it before, but I'll, I'll do it again. Uh, but that's not what I'm teaching today. So let's move on. So church here is what? I just want to make sure you're awake. Church here is what? Ecclesia. Now, let's go to the book of Acts and see in the New Testament how they, how they went about this. Okay? Let's look at some of the, the places where the word assembly was used, which is the correct translation of this word. Not church. Church is not the correct translation of the word ecclesia. The correct translation is assembly. And there are other places where it was translated that way. That's what I want to show you. Acts chapter number 19, verse 32. Look at this. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Then it went on later on in verse 38. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and they are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. Look at what they're talking about. Too. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful ecclesia. Look at what they're talking about. They are saying that this is a body that, that determines issues, that conducts governmental business. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's opera, there being no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. Then he says, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the ecclesia. All of these passages, the, the, the right translation was used. That is very important, and I'm getting there. Now, in the Greek empire, I've just explained to you, they already knew that word. There was also a version of this word ecclesia existing in the Roman empire. That's why Jesus didn't need to spend too much time on it. Everybody knew exactly what he was saying. So, the version of it in the Roman empire was something called the Conventus Sibion Romanora. I put it on the screen so that you're not confused, okay? For short, it, it was referred to as conventus. And what it meant is anywhere, this is very critical, anywhere a group of Roman citizens of two or three meeting anywhere in the world, they brought the power and presence of Rome into their midst. So, when Jesus said this idea of where two or three are gathered together in my name, this is what he was referring to. It was not a concept that came out of heaven. He took it from their secular life and brought it back to them. That I'm building my own version of the conventus that you already know. That wherever you find two or three Roman citizens meeting together, they literally were a local expression of Rome. So the local church was supposed to be a local expression of heaven. That was the idea. That where you find two or three people, Jesus said, I will be there in their midst, which means the power and the presence of heaven will be in their midst. And whatever they bind, business, governmental business, anything that they agree on together and say, in this vicinity, there shall be no more cholera. Heaven backs that. Done. Are you here this morning? This was the idea. 
So it was not supposed to be this general thing that people would just come here but just gather every day. That's why when people focus on numbers, when they are talking about church, they don't understand this. That for the conventus to exist only required two or three, period. That anywhere, now you cannot be a conventus by yourself. <laughs> Therefore, you cannot be the ecclesia on your own. But if there are two or three, the power and presence of Rome is present there. In other words, the power and presence of the kingdom of heaven is present in the midst of those people. Let's look at some of the examples in the book of Acts. I just want to read this to you. I'll read it quickly just to show you how they understood what it meant to be a Roman. Okay? Acts chapter 16, verse 37 to 40. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into the prison. And now, they, they, and now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told this words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. Verse 40. So they went out to the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Another example. Acts chapter 22, verse 24. All right, anytime I need water when I'm preaching, I'm preaching from my belly. So you are getting the best this morning. Acts chapter number 22, from verse 24 to 29. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know why they shouted so against him. And as they bound him with tongues, Paul said to the centurion who stood by him, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman? In other words, a Roman citizen understood who he was. So when you are singing that song, I know who I am, you have to understand where it's coming from. Wherever a Roman citizen was present, it's the way Americans are like this today. He understood who he was. He said, how can you be scourging a Roman citizen that is uncondemned? Then he said, and as they bound him with tongues, Peter, uh, uh, Paul said this, when the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander, saying, take care what you do, for this man is a Christian. So this literally is what they're supposed to be saying about you today. That be careful what you do to this guy. Because this person is a Christian. Then they went on. He said, then the commander came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman? He said, yes. The commander answered, with a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Then he said, then immediately those who were about to examine him withdrew from him, and the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him. In other words, principalities and powers are supposed to be afraid when a Christian enters anywhere. Because they are looking and saying, look at it, he said they withdrew from him. The commander became afraid. So wherever you find a Christian who understood who he was huh, in that day, and there were two or three in a place, they could make anything happen. That's why Paul and Silas were so confident to be inside the prison cell where they were supposed to be kept quiet and they were singing and clapping. And the Bible says they were mixing their praise with prayer. Mixing their praise with prayer because they understood that the fact that they made the mistake of binding two of us here, they don't understand that the local expression of heaven has come into this prison cell. 
That's what it means to be a Christian. So being a Christian is not this one that we are doing, that, you know, you just come to church, or just come to church. I don't like this church. No air condition. I don't like it. The coffee. Oh, that's bad coffee. This is not my taste of coffee. Oh, no, 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 no. Then go and find a church. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. So the conventus, Sibion Romanora, was a local expression of Rome, able to conduct governmental business. Now, let's get into, this is where I'm going to offend a lot of people. And I don't mind doing that. I've been doing that since I was a teenager. So I will continue to do that. Now, but I'm hoping that today, you would understand it once and for all. When I tell you that there is a problem with the King James Version of the Bible, I want today to put an end to it in your heart, okay? Once and for all, once and for all. And I want to explain what the problem is, okay? Because you see, when you, for somebody like me, huh? someone like me, when I tell you that I have studied something and I have come to a conclusion, please, if you are a member of this church, I want you to respect that. I will never come up here and tell you something categorically if I have not studied it. Theology is my life assignment. The way you know how to remove people's teeth as a dentist, this one <laughs> is my own assignment. The only reason why I have a secular job is because of Paul and tent-making ministry. The day Believer's House is able to pay me a salary, I'm going to resign from my job. They already know in my office. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So it's not that they know. <laughs> that I'm just waiting for the day. That because this, the study of the Bible, the Word of God, and theology is what I have given my life to since I was a teenager. So when I come to a conclusion on something, it's not that I heard a preacher say it and I just, no, no, no. I, I look through my Bible and I look through references. Now, there was a king called James. It's not Lebron. Okay? <laughs> there was actually a monarch <laughs> called King James. <laughs> okay? Now, let's, let's try and see what his influence was, okay, on this whole process and how we got to where we are today. This idea of two or three citizens having authority to conduct governmental business was the reason why King James had a problem with it. This is why he had a big issue with the ecclesia, because just like other monarchs of the, of, of the hold, they believed in the absolute authority of the monarch to rule unquestioned and uncontested. So this idea that you could have two or three people meet and be an assembly and they have authority, even though he didn't fully understand it, it was a threat. So what did he do? How did he respond to this threat? Then he said, now the background to it is, of course you know who Martin Luther is. Martin Luther was the one who, who took the Bible to the German-speaking world. William Tyndale is the British version of Martin Luther, which is that he is referred to as the father of the British Bible. Because in, in um, what, what year was it now? Something 22, 1522. It can't be 18. 1522. He wrote, the, he translated the Bible from the, the original manuscript into English language, and he did it meticulously because he was a linguistic scholar. So he took his time, translated the Bible that way, and put it in. The, when you check any Tyndale Bible, the word church is rendered as assembly, because that is the translation. Okay? Other Bibles, like the Geneva Bible and a few other ones, took after Tyndale, and they maintained that. When King James realized that this is the Bible that was circulating, he commissioned 47 scholars. So I've just told you that one person did this meticulous one. Then he brought together 47 scholars and gave them a deadline and said, 
these guys, I want you to, within this period of time, come up with another translation of the Bible that will be known as the King James Version. Okay? And here are 15 points that you must follow. Are you with me so far? One of those points <laughs> was that anywhere the word church, uh, the word ecclesia appeared in the Bible, please translate it as church, which is a building with a clergy, because people can understand that. That was already in play, because King James was also the head of the Anglican church at the time. And he operated something called an episcopal system, which relied on the appointment of bishops. That's why when you see the Bible say, if any man desires to be a bishop, that was not the word. The word there was elder. If you check all your newer translations, it's translated elder. But King James said, this thing has to, has to support the structure that is already in place. Because the system he was using required him appointing bishops. That's what he was already doing. So where you see the word elder, they change it to bishop. There are a few other things like that. Not a few, a lot <laughs> of other things like that. <laughs> that are just inconsistencies. Okay, so he said that. Then he gave them those 15 points and they followed that. Now, what happened after that? When you see, because the Bible that they produced, which was produced in record time, right, had the power and the backing of the crown. It went far. It went far because it had the authority of the crown behind it. It went very far. Now, we are not saying that, you know, just like Paul said, that they are preaching out of wrong motive as far as the word of God is being preached. The King James Bible, please let me be clear, has done more for modern Christianity than any other translation. It has gone farthest. It has spread the gospel far. But what I'm saying to you is this. You can't know this information and still be insisting on King James. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't. Uh -huh, you cannot. So what happened was, after that, now again, people have challenged me on this. Whenever I get into this, people challenge me. say, why does he say authorized King James Version? Authorized, King James Version. The word authorized does not mean authorized by God from heaven. That's not what it means. Authorized meant the king has published a Bible translation and has said, no more, especially the notes that were in the Geneva Bible, they were so intimidating to him because it explained everything easily. So he said, no, 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 no. The only Bible translation that is authorized by the crown is the King James Version. That's where we got authorized from. So it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit authorized King James, that this is the only translation <laughs> we, we can read. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, again, I've told you, even my, my mom, right, no matter how I've told her this over and over, she still uses that King James. So what I'm saying to you is that even my pastor in Nigeria still uses his King James. His wife will come and preach and use new King James. <laughs> and we say, you are old school, we are new school, whatever it is. But you have to have this knowledge. You have to have it. So if you want to read any modern, any translation of the Bible, you are not, you know, you, you, again, King James, my, my, me talking about King James like this is not um, because I don't like the language. Like, no, no, I told you, I grew up doing drama society. I love Shakespeare. So it's not, you get, uh -huh, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. The evil that men do lives after them. It's what I did in school. So it's not a big deal. The language is not the issue. The issue is that there are too many inconsistencies. Too many of them. It's a problem. 
If it was not a problem, I wouldn't need to take this much time on it, but it's a problem. So if you want to read any Bible translation, like things like New King James, they've tried to improve on it, but they can't get rid of everything. They just keep trying to improve on it. You want, now, maybe you don't want to get into the deep Greek or whatever, how it, uh, all these them, Youngs and, and Kenneth Wist. You want a normal, amplified classic. New American Standard Bible. Even your New Living Translation, <laughs> I'm telling you, is still better. Stay with that. Leave King James alone. I'm begging you. Are you with me? Okay. Leave it alone, no. Uh-huh. I'm just saying. Now, let me show you another reason why you have to leave it alone. It's in this same passage. And I'll show you because it colors the meaning of a lot of things. When you read certain things and you go on for years. Look, when they read those Bibles and they saw that he said, I will build my church. Everybody in their mind imagined a building with a clergy. And that's what we all started doing. And it went on for generation to generation to generation. Even though the same Bible has done so much to spread the gospel, it carried that little bit of leaven inside it. That when you now look today, that's why when you look today and you see what is, what is in the Bible that the church were doing and what we are doing, you look at it and you say, why is it so different? This is the reason. Are you with me? This is why. So, let's look at it again. He said the ecclesia is two or three. Jesus didn't talk too much about it because they understood it. Instead, he spent his time teaching about the kingdom. So, when you look at all the parables that Jesus was saying, he was always saying the kingdom of God is as unto this. The kingdom of God. Why was he teaching them about the kingdom? Because... The job of the ecclesia was to bring the kingdom of heaven onto the earth. So he wanted them to understand what they were going to use the vehicle of the ecclesia to produce on the earth. That's why he spent his time teaching about the kingdom. Say amen to this. So let's go back to to Matthew, and let me start to show you some of the other things, okay? And we'll break it down further. Matthew chapter 18, from verse 18 to 20. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now, I've explained to you where, where this idea of two or three gathered came from, okay? That this was an idea of the, of the ecclesia that they already understood. They knew that where two or three citizens of Rome came together, they had the authority to conduct business. Now, let's go back to the first one where he says, as shortly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The two verbs that are used in this, in this expression, they are perfect passive participles. So these verbs should have been translated as having been bound and having been loosed. This is consistent with any Greek. If you open any Greek Bible, what you will literally see is whatever you bind on earth will occur, having been bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will occur, having been loosed in heaven. Because we are not here on earth telling heaven how to do things. We are supposed to hear what heaven is doing and then bring that to the earth. So you see why it's a big deal. That you can go with this understanding for so many years. Whatever I bind on earth is bound in heaven. And heaven will honor you because heaven will humor you. But he says the days of ignorance, God has forgotten. <laughs> so now he's calling all men to do what? To repent. So you can't know <laughs> that this is not, so, I, so you don't pray that kind of prayer near me. 
don't. Uh-huh. And you can say, whatever I bind on it, bind it, whatever I bind on it, bind it. I'm telling you that what your job is supposed to be is to hear what everyone wants to do, then bring that onto the earth. Say amen to that. So, as shortly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. So, it's, it's not bound on earth, bound in heaven. It is having been bound on earth, uh, in heaven, then you, you do that on the earth. So, we are bringing the kingdom of God onto the earth because it is on earth as it is in heaven. That is the process. Now, what is the application? See how I am sweating preaching this thing to you because... <laughs> I feel like coming down. <laughs> I feel like coming down to you because I am at this stuff. I'm passionate about this stuff. I don't joke with this because it can mess up your Christianity for many years. You will just be going about, you know, and the people, people who know will hear you and just humor you because, you know, they'll be like, yeah, you're a new believer. You don't really know these things, but you cannot call yourself, you know, that, I mean, someone like me now come now and say I'm, I'm pastoring this church and I now start talking things. Like people will watch and say, ah, doesn't this guy know? <laughs> so it might happen, the next message that I'll preach now, I'll be using the church in a generic way. But I want you to have this understanding. So when I'm just saying church, church, you don't think that it's not because we don't know. <laughs> we know where we are coming from. But we are just saying that this is where we are. We respect it. We keep moving. But we have to have an understanding of where we are coming from and know how we got here. All right? So what is the application? Because you can go home with all this scholarly information and be like, wow, this is one of those Sundays where you go home and say, oh, my pastor knows his stuff. Ah, my pastor is deep, deep. But how does he help you? This is what we want to look at now, okay, for the rest of the time. What is the application? Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. We just said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is the idea. This is what we are supposed to be doing. So, number one, what is our job? We are supposed to establish the kingdom of God here on earth. That's the first thing. That is the assignment of the ecclesia. Is whatever does not exist in heaven should not exist here, especially among the ecclesia. So, there is no sickness in heaven, so sickness should not exist here. There is no lack in heaven, so lack should not exist here. There is no famine in heaven, so famine should not exist here. This is our business. Uh, whatever does not exist in heaven should not exist around us. Should not exist on the earth means that where we are, right? It doesn't mean that you can take over the whole earth and, and control what everybody does. But wherever you find two or three believers, they form an authority of heaven over that, that locality. And they must be able to bring the, the kingdom of God on the earth in that way. So this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, I will build my, my church. I will establish the will of the Father on the earth. And the vehicle that I will use to do it is the two or three. The two or three that are gathering to conduct this kind of business. That's what he was talking about. Matthew chapter number 18 from verse 19 to 20. Let's keep going. So the two or three are the ecclesia. I'm, I'm, I'm reinforcing it for emphasis. Their business is to establish the kingdom of God anywhere on earth they find themselves. Matthew 18, 19 to 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that you ask, it will be done for them by my Father, where? In heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I hope that from today you have a better understanding of this scripture. Aha. Uh-huh. So where two or three are gathered in my name, is literally saying the authority of heaven is present there. And what they decide, which is what they have heard heaven decide. So it's not that two or three will gather and just decide that, you know, we want, we want, how many people know what my, my dream car is? Does anybody know? Land Rover Discovery. 
in case you don't know. I'm just saying it so that you know. Because one day God will bless you and you have the capacity to buy it. Amen. It is a Land Rover what? Discovery. Discovery. The big one, not that one that has small back like this, or the big one. Whatever model of the year that it is. So the two or three gathering and making governmental business is not that, let me call two or three people together. Come and pray with me that God will give me a new car. That's not what we're saying. We are saying that the, the ecclesia have, have heard what is being bound in heaven. What is, the, what is everyone interested in at this moment? What is everyone doing? They hear that and they decree that on the earth to make sure that that is done on the earth. Do you understand this? This is very critical. Now, number two, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to be heaven's ambassadors on the earth. So we are representatives of heaven on the earth. First Peter chapter number two, verse nine. First Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out, you see that, of darkness into his marvelous light. So what we are doing on earth is that we are living our lives in a way that proclaims the praises of him who called us out of darkness and put us into his marvelous light. This is the business of the ecclesia on the earth, is to be ambassadors, ambassadors of heaven on the earth. When, when you look, look, this is what it means. As, as we are here right now, all of us in this room, if we were only two or three, as far as heaven is concerned, looking down, this place is registered in heaven as an embassy of heaven on the earth. If anybody walks through that door, as long as there's two or what? Three of us in this room. Anybody that walks into that door has literally left the earth and walked into heaven. I say amen to this. Amen. Has left the, I'm telling you this is what it is. Literally. You have left the earth and as you step into a body of two or three, I couldn't stay up. As you step into anywhere where there's two or three, you have stepped from earth into heaven. This is the meaning of Ecclesia. This is what we're talking about. So when you are, you are there in your, you don't have to have a banner. You and your friends, are your roommates, the three of you are believers. You are in the house together. That house has become an embassy of heaven on the earth. An embassy of heaven. Let me round up. I'm getting excited. It's not a good time when you have five minutes more and you are getting excited. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Number three. We are salt and light. We are salt and we are light on the earth. This is what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. Matthew 5, 13 to 15. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing. Have you met any good for nothing, Christian? You, you won't admit it now. This is why. Because if a Christian doesn't know who they are, they will be good for nothing. And, and it's, not a, it's not an abusive expression. I mean, it's in the Bible. So what it means is that if you, you are in a place and you don't understand what it means to be a Christian. The way Romans understood what it means to be a Roman citizen. You won't know who you are. Everything will just be coming at you. And you'll be crying. You'll be crying. Which day was it that I was, I was, I was here? We left here and I was arguing with Pastor, okay? We're, we're shouting, arguing, arguing. I almost lost my voice. So as I got home, I was licking peppermint and doing everything. And I was just saying, God, I have to preach tomorrow. I can't lose my voice. Then I almost started feeling pity for myself. You know, that, that, that's the natural response. Then you start feeling that, oh, God, please help me. I cannot lose my voice. I just said, I just caught myself. I said, what? In the name of Jesus Christ. Voice, clear. 
clear. That's what it means to be a Christian. I came here the next day, I preached fire. Fire. You know fire? I preached fire. So you don't mess around. You're not just, you are feeling sick. Your stomach is like, which day was it? My wife, my wife went and bought me strawberry something, something. I'm allergic to strawberry. Not that spiritually. I'm just saying that. Strawberry, I don't like it. Uh-huh. And it, it doesn't enter my system. My system does not recognize strawberry. Does not, does not, so chocolate. If you want to buy me anything, it has to be chocolate. Chocolate. If, whether it's bitter or sweet, chocolate is fine. So she brought me this strawberry. And because I love my wife, I, I drank the strawberry. And my stomach said, what is this? <laughs> we don't understand this. <laughs> what is going on? So you know the way you feel bubble or you are, you are about to throw up? Ah, I, and I started feeling sorry for myself. You know, you start feeling pity for yourself. That, am I going to be sick? Uh, I will not be able to preach. Uh, uh. No, you open your mouth. Because when you close your mouth, you lose by default. You are a believer, you open your mouth. In the name of Jesus Christ, strawberry, stay there. Stay. <laughs> stay where you are. Because the Bible says they will drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt them. It's as simple as that. You don't mess around. You don't be messing around. You'll not be crying. You'll not run. You'll not run to the toilet. Believer. Believer. You'll not be throwing up. Say, what's wrong with you? Ah, is that strawberry? Then people will not be pitying you. Oh, sorry, sorry. You too don't drink strawberry. You too don't drink strawberry. Then you'll not be pitying yourself. You get, and we live our lives like this because we don't understand who we are. We don't understand. Look, if at that moment your faith is not enough to give a response, find another believer. It is too or three. That's why you can't marry an unbeliever. You see, we say it all the time. This is the problem. So imagine if the only person that you are in the house with, that is your spouse, is unbeliever. You see that is the problem. So you have to leave the house now to go to church and go and find other believers that you can constitute that authority together. So believers are supposed to be salt and we are supposed to be light. Everywhere we go, the kingdom of heaven, which is salt and light, should be seen there. Say amen to this. Jump on your feet like an ambassador. Jump on your feet. Jump on your feet. We're going to make this declaration together, every single person. Don't sit down there and be looking. If you're at home, get up on your feet and declare these words with us, okay? Let's go. One, two, three. I am an ambassador of the kingdom. I am a representative of the kingdom of heaven on the earth. I am part of the ecclesia the redemptive agency of Jesus Christ on the earth for the transformation of people and society. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. I am a city that is set on the hill. Therefore, I will not be hidden. Whatever does not exist in heaven does not exist around me. There is no sickness in heaven. Therefore, sickness does not exist in my sphere of influence. Disease does not exist in heaven. Therefore, disease does not exist around me. There is no famine in heaven, so famine does not exist around me. There is no lack in heaven. Therefore, I operate in abundance. I am a kingdom financier. Therefore, the grace of God abounds towards me for every good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Believer's House. We hope you've been blessed. Please visit us at www.believershouse.church for more information about our church or to send us your questions, comments, and feedback. We hope to see you again soon.